To my dear friend Vadric, I regret to write this, but I must face the truth. Daylight is losing its battle against an invading night. This autumn in the provinces is crisper than usual, the harvest harsher. The night leaves a skin of frost on that pumpkin field and on the last clinging leaves of the Kissick woods. No tentacled horrors have been seen since the closing of the travails, and the keening mother slumbers peacefully behind the face of the moon. But I've heard farm folk whisper of a wrongness since that time, a misstep of the ticking hours, a bend in the shape of the darkness. I fear not all was put right after the travails, and on this world there are always those who will take advantage of darkness. Of course I hear the howls in the night. At first, Kessig called it a blessing from Sigarda that, since the travails, those howls always died out, lonely plaints to an uncaring moon. But more and more, the wolf sounds echo and multiply, full and strong and yearning, a chorus of savage throats. In their way, the werewolves are celebrating. They celebrate their hot breaths in bracing air, the smell of flesh in their nostrils, the bending of their skeletons, time to the emergence of the moon. They celebrate that the night constricts the day to a few dwindling pale hours, and they celebrate the belief that the night will soon be theirs. As I pen this, I hear my own pack whimpering in the woods behind me. I feel the urgent way they paw at the earth, how their heartbeats quicken as they look back in the darkened Ulan vault. I know they feel the pull of the howl, for I feel it too. We must seek a way to put things right and soon. Ever your friend, Arlen. Hello and welcome to Into the 99 podcast. Today, John and I are going to be talking about the Innistrad lore. If you couldn't tell by the opening monologue, that is the letter from Arlen from the Planeswalker's Guide to the Midnight Hunt. And that's actually what we're going to be starting, and then we'll go into some of the other characters. So, first and foremost, John, how have you been? I've been amazing. How have you been, Dan? Oh, I've been good, busy, busy, but this set has just been... Just, an, I think, pretty good. The D&D set really disappointed me, as I've said so many times. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite. Yeah, but then they... I would have been happy with solely the lands from this new set. Right. But there was a lot of good legendaries. Like, I really liked Slogurk. I really, really liked Katilda. And we'll talk a little bit about her today. There was just so many good... There's there's good cards in it. Like, the Meat Hook Massacre, stuff like that. Already seen some big value. So, they didn't drop the ball too hard for the whole year. D&D kind of made me think they were going to go a not as exciting way, yeah. But they, um, just in general, I, I think made a pretty good set, and they came back to a plane that we keep talking about, and we still haven't done the initial Innistrad story, so luckily this kind of has a way to catch up to it. So let's just jump right into it. I'll, I'll start us off, and it says, Welcome back to Innistrad, a chilling plane of werewolves, vampires, and other things that go bump in the dark. Want to read up on all of Innistrad's and Outistrad's of the plane? You can check out the Planeswalker's Guide for our first visit right here. So, then they go on to a recap, and it says, Previously on. And I'll let you take it away there. So, the destructive feud between Nahiri and Sorin, which was a long, long time ago. And the disagreement led to Sorin's ruthless decision to lock Nahiri in the magical prison, also called the Hell Vault. And she stayed there for centuries upon centuries. And eventually... When Nahiri was freed, she she lured the Eldrazi, which previously were on, um, I just completely blanked Zendikar, on yeah. Zendikar. She lured the final remaining one, which was Emrakul, straight to Innistrad. And in the presence of Emrakul, 
she brought upon like the full circle of eldritch horrors that Innistrad represents. Yeah, it just totally wrecked the plane in general. Yeah, I mean, even like the angels were bad. Soren had to kill Abyssin, which was the archangel of everything and one of the best cards ever to come out of the white color pie. Well, and essentially and, the god of that plane. Exactly. And it only it took the gate watch and Emrakul becoming bored to defeat a single Eldrazi Titan, mm-hmm. arguably the most powerful of the three. Well, and they didn't even, we've talked about it a little bit before, but they didn't even defeat the Titan. Em, uh, Emrakul possessed, what is her name? I'm drawing a blank. Tamio. Tamio, yeah. Yeah, Emrakul possessed Tamio and sealed itself into the moon of Innistrad. And that actually is the the main problem of what's going on right now in Innistrad is that Emrakul is inside the moon. She weighed down the moon, now it's not moving. Right? So they talk about the travails. You heard that in the opening speech I gave there. This is a a horrific series of events, and it's now referred to by the populace as the travails. It carries with it a sense of well-mannered euphemism. No one wants to relive the horror of the time, so in polite conversation, you just come across, oh, the travails and stuff. You don't want to give it the name, kind of like a Voldemort-esque event. Here we are. There was actually one angel that survived, but we'll get to that later. I just realized that. Yeah, I was wondering why uh, Lyssa was in the new set as well. I thought she... No, that's Gis, Glissa and um, the Transformal Drowsy card. Glissa yeah, uh, and, uh, Bruna and... Bruna, okay. Yeah, it was Bruna, Sigarda, Avacyn, and who was the other one? She's in the set. I pulled her. Let's check my box. No, Liesa's the forgotten one. Yeah. But Bruna combines with someone, and I can't remember who it is. Um, The Boros, Boros double and half damage. Oh, uh, Gisela. Yep, Gisela. I'm pretty sure she's... There we go. Me. Yeah, Gisela Broken Blade. All right, we got through that one. So, while Emrakul's madness has dissipated, it's been re- replaced by a new uneasiness. The humans of Innistrad once again face the night without their protector, Avacyn. Now their thoughts turn to the past. Old traditions, old protections, old fears. They're doing some heresy on Innistrad. Uh-oh. Some denizens of Innistrad have begun to direct their prayers to the archangel Sigarda, the most powerful angel left in the wake of the travails. Sigarda was one of the few angels who never succumbed to Emrakul's influence, and she fought nobly to defend humanity from Eldrazi monstrosities. She's taken up Avacyn's role as best she can, answering the fervent prayers of the lost and endangered. The people have given her many epithets. Uh, Cigar of the True, Cigar of the Shadow Slayer, Cigar of the Hope of the Lost. Cigar of the Bad Card for Commander, by the way. I'm just going to say that right now. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of disappointing. If it worked a little bit like Winota and it like kind of put him into play, that would have been a very yeah. exciting human-themed commander. But just, you know, it looks for a human on the top. Yeah, busted. Win some, you lose some. Right. So And interestingly enough, um, they're still worshipping Addison. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, they're still, although Soren did unmake her, that hasn't stopped the people's belief. They they truly did believe Addison was a god, even though it was technically Soren. Which kind of points to Soren's old power that he used to have. Yep. So yeah, all throughout the provinces, villagers have taken it upon themselves to do rough, handcrafted repairs of the twisted symbols of Addison. The elongated shapes of the warp stone have been shattered, their stone harvest for the repair. Today, cemetery headstones, church shrines, and roadside monuments all display restored symbols of Avacyn. Each was mended by rough stonework by hand, broken and cemented back together or lashed together with wire and twine. These are symbols of hope and self-reliance. Even when no angel came forward to fix the world, the people have come forward to fix what they can. Which is good on them, learning some self-reliance. Trying their best, yeah. They relying, relying on an angel who went absolutely bananas may not be the best overall long-term strategy 
the, not good for the what Nahiri did really at the end of the day was was very very evil to bring it back. Like the her fight with Soren was one thing, but like luring a Titan there deliberately to try and like it was it, it was to try and pain Soren by like destroying his thing, like anguished on making. The whole reason the card is named that is because Soren didn't want to destroy Avacyn. Avacyn was like his favorite thing. Yeah, ever. exactly. Like the it was the creation, the protector of the plane, so that he could go and leave his home world behind, kind of thing. And then then Nahiri just because she was angry at him. And the flip side of the coin is Nahiri did have like every right to be angry. Like he sealed her away. They really, really fought. No one no one came to help her out. I get it, but at the same time, She's a bad person. We'll be right back. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes... It doesn't quite work. And you, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off? The, <laughs> way, the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. Yeah, there's no, there's no good guy in that story, which right. kind of comes full circle. I guess new magic isn't as... Goody two shoes is old magic. Yeah, new new magic is starting to maybe try have a few good people, but yeah, the old story is like I said more than once. It's just littered with people who they're the best of two worsts, right? Like it's if you had to choose, you would pick one or the other, but it doesn't mean they're good people, right? Like you're 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 picking between a robbery and a murder a lot of the time instead of just a great day at the park. Exactly. But all I'm gonna say is. One of those planeswalkers got JoJo art, and the other didn't. That is true. That is that is very true. So we have the lunar disruption. Obviously, Emrakul's in the moon. I full disclosure still like absolutely believe the crazy magic conspiracy theory that Avacyn is gone. Nothing can stop what's going to happen. Emrakul's in the Innistrad moon. The moon is made of silver, and in the magic story, the only thing that can travel through time is silver i think emrakul is going to go back in time and bring the two titans back with it i think that that's their their way of doing it and i think we're going to see a resurrected ulamog and kozalith and i think that'd be a really really cool story because them learning from it and being able to fight the gatewatch in a much more potent way would be i think very exciting i've never even heard that wow yeah but that's the because karn is the only thing like that's why uh urza made karn silver is so that he can travel through time, and nothing in the story can travel through time except for that, and Innistrad's Silver Moon is deliberately where Emrakul put itself. Yeah, I could... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so if Emrakul can somehow time travel back, let Ulamog and Kozilek know what happens, Ulamog and Kozilek in this new alternate... Like, because magic magic does work with an alternate reality kind of thing, right? Uh, Sarkon... Is, yeah. is part of that, right? Sarkon and Ugin's story have like a fractured timeline. So it's not out of the blue that the Eldrazi would know how they are defeated on Zendikar and go back and essentially right that wrong of them being defeated and rampage the galaxy a little bit. 
which to oh, me be- brings it full back, full circle back because Nicobolus is their most popular character, I believe. I think they're going to have to let Nicobolus out to fight the Eldrazi. That would be a pretty interesting team up with the Gatewatch. Yeah, so I think, again, that they're going to have, like, Time Traveler, Kozilek, and uh, Ulamog returned. The Gatewatch no longer has Gideon, so they kind of lack their, like, immortal. Well, Gideon might come back due to the time travel. Oh, no, no, but I think I think Emrakul's in the moon bringing them back with it. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yes, like kind of using it as like a time-traveling spaceship. None of this is canon. I understand I'm trying to do a lore episode here on this, but like this is this is my thoughts on it. I think it's like an interesting way to go about it because right now, Bolas being in the meditation room with Ugin, kind of, you know, there's no... It, I, it's kind of final in that storyline, but like Nicobolas is far too popular of a character to just leave be you know what i mean and it's nicobolus was a great bad guy like a very evil bad guy but uh, i think that there is like a really really interesting way to look at it and do that team up of like all right like bolus is bad but the destruction of existence is worse yeah i can see that yeah that's just that's kind of my thing but anyways the the whole point i was talking about that is the lunar disruption so once emrakul is banished to the moon by Emrakul, by the way. The great sigil on its face formed by the imprisonment spell eventually faded from view. However, the Eldrazi still resides there, slumbering quietly. Prominent astronomers in the Dawnheart Coven of Witches believe that the Cosmic Titan's residency in the moon might be related to Innistrad's newest problem, which obviously it is. Like, the whole point is, like, the night isn't going away, and Emrakul's in it. Ob- yeah, it's... That, that one's an easy one to piece together. Uh, Innistrad's day-night cycle is darkling- darkening. Sunlight is waning, the nights are getting longer and longer, and a chilly frost descends onto the world. More night means more attacks by werewolves, vampires, and other horrifying creatures who have vested interest in creating an eternal night. Such as, John? Oh, that would be Tovalar. Um, He once led the Mondronan Howl Pack, and the other Howl his and the other Halpaks disbanded, chased off, and hunted down by the angels when Avacyn was freed. Now, in the growing darkness, since the travails, Tovalar has seen his chance to lead again. Driven by the fierce pride and werewolf kind, he seeks to unify all the Howl Packs under his rule. He stands for the freedom to embrace the savage beast within, and many werewolves have left their human homes to join him. Once he, was power- Once he has a powerful pack behind him, he will stop the Donhart Coven and anyone else who wants to bring back the sun. So, yeah, he's not the best, but there's a new breed of werewolf that is also coming around, and that is called the Dire Strain. In human form, these werewolves are markedly tall, lanky folk with grim cast to their appearance. They distrust others, looking strangers up and down with their sunken, beady eyes. Somehow both suspicious and bored. In werewolf form, they show they grow far larger than any other werewolves. With legendary strength, they're capable of shredding stone with their claws and snapping bone with the slightest bite. And they're said to shrug off even the silver that they use to die. The dire strain werewolves are Tovalar's heavy hitters and the true powerhouses of his army. Why don't the dire strain werewolves just kill Tovalar and take over? Because Tovalar's the alpha. I mean, yeah, but like the new gen, so they should be able to outclass. I, I still think Tovalar's Tovalar would beat his dire strains. Then we have the hedge witches. In the times before Avacyn, a smattering of covens and druidic cults conducted folks uh, folk magic across the provinces. They practice ancient hedge magic and natural rituals meant to yield crops, bring luck at weddings, and protect families from creatures of the night. 
Many of the practitioners of these traditions, called hedge witches or simply witches, were hermits and outcasts, but their traditions permeated the towns and villages as well. When Avacyn was created, villagers turned to her for protection, and reliance on the hedge magic waned. Hedge witch covens vanished or retreated into obscurity. Today, more residents of the provinces are turned back to traditions and ancient covens are meeting once again, especially in Kessig and Nefalia. Which brings us to the Donhart Coven. One of the smaller covens of the hedge witches was known as the Donhart Coven. Is it coven or co- it's coven? Coven, yeah. Coven. A cabal dedicated to nature and community. In the last two years, they have begun meeting again under their leader, Tilda, with most of their members being from small towns around the Natternals. They see signs of spirituality everywhere and are focused on reviving the ancient tradition of Harvest Tide. So, oh, yeah, so but be- the, uh, the Harvest Tide brings us to what the whole set is about. So, Midnight Hunt is essentially like the whole storyline is pretty much set in a very, very brief setting. And it's over, it's, it's what this festival is, right? It's not a long, drawn out story. It is just basically this festival, the Harvest Tide Festival. It says, on a world where survival is never guaranteed, life is to be celebrated. Harvest Tide was an ancient harvest festival, an annual celebration of life and community in the years before Avicinian churches. Villagers commemorated the yearly Harvest Tide with feasting, dancing, songs, chants, mask-wearing bonfires, and wicker effigies. So basically a giant burning man, get together, celebrate the year, we've all harvested our crops, kind of. Well, just a, a real Amish banger. The Donhart Coven believes the festival is crucial to performing a ritual that restore the balance of day and night on Innistrad. Uh, the Ullenwald's trees glimmer with candles, lanterns, and magical sparklights. Streamers and ribbons decorate the branches. Travelers along the path towards Harvest Tide can also see wicker floats with effigies of werewolves, zombies, vampires, and other fearsome creatures to be triumphantly and defiantly burned during the festival. Hmm. So, so there has to be something more to the festival, which I think is right here. Yep. That is the Celestia. Celestis, which brings back balance to the sun. Built by hedge witches centuries ago, the Celestis is an astronomical mechanism in the heart of the Uvenwald. Its purpose was to track the movements of the stars and the moon. Catilda and the Donhart Co- Coven believe that she can, she can use a spell to restore the day-night balance, but it's going to require activating the Celestis to do that. To do that, a mechanism called the Sun Gold Lock in the center of the Celestis needs to be joined with an enchanted blessed silver item called the Moon Sil- Silver Key. Fortunately, the moon silver key has been lost for generations. So that's kind of like the general of what's going on. They are trying to get the key to unlock the Celestis. They think they can bring a day-night balance back with this very, very extreme festival and everything. So we're going to go a little bit more into some of like the major players in what's going on and just the events of what happens in it. So first and foremost, I want to talk about Catilda. So... Catilda appears to be a young woman, but wise beyond her years. Her white hair is looped through the many branches of her headdress. The pale crescent and sphere painted on the dusk skin only serves to make her features blend in. She uses a large staff to perform her magic. Also, Catilda is like my favorite card from the new set. Amazing. Um, early years. Catilda was a healer and teacher in the Kessig town of Avabruck, but when the town was destroyed years ago, she retreated to the Ullenwall Forest in an area of rocky caves called the Nethernals. She met hermits and witches who practiced ancient hedge magic. They soon decided to reform the Donhart Covered among the ancient forest deity, Grin Danu, and two years later, Catilda had emerged as their leader. When the Donhart Coven first reformed, Catilda was at odds with a young acolyte, Sareth. Sareth is also one of the bad guys in the story. Sareth, a powerful head witch, believed that Jin Danu's power was not enough to restore Innistrad. 
She expressed a desire to worship additional gods, but the other witches were unflinching in their loyalty. Whether she was expelled from the coven or left on her own depends on who you ask. Um, Catilda <laughs> gathered the Dawnheart Coven to reverse the unnatural darkness and cold that began spreading over Innistrad after Emrakul was trapped in the moon. Needing, uh, needing the energy of a large human gathering, she organized the Harvesttide Festival. Planning to use the Celestis, Catilda recruited Arlen Cord from the Gatewatch, uh, Arlen Cord, the Gatewatch, to find the moon silver key. During the preparations for the Harvesttide Festival, Catilda uh, ends up helping Lenore save her sister, Sinia, who was possessed by the powers of the witch, Sereth, and would use a ritual to summon a creature called the Coiled One. So, Sereth is basically trying to bring out this weird, evil, legendary snake god. Huh. Yeah. I think it's a demon. I, I don't know what it is, but it's not great. Oh, here we, go. here we go. That's the Buried Lord. My bad. Oh, you found something about the Coiled One? Yeah, it's a lost snake god of venom and vengeance that the witch Sereth is trying to summon from using Sinia, Leonor, Leonora's sister, with the intention of chasing away the darkness. The ritual was thwarted and the creature was unconjured. So it sounds like they were just trying to do things and they just couldn't agree to both try their own thing. Yeah, so that brings us a little bit into Lenore. And among the many ancient harvest tide traditions in the appointment of a har- is the appointment of a harvest tide sovereign. There's a lot of big words in this that I am... <laughs> Having trouble reading. Uh, the Witches of the Dawnheart Coven elect an outsider to serve as a marshal of the festivities. The Sovereign's role is to establish a connection between the Witches and the common folk of Innistrad. More importantly, a truly excellent Sovereign infused the Witches' rituals with additional power, greatly contributing to their success. When it came time to select this season's Sovereign, Lenore was the obvious choice. Known for her love of all things festival and communal, one can easily identify a Lenore-hosted event by the abundance of food, drink, and somewhat excessive decorations. While she fully understands the festival's significance in restoring the balance between uh, night and day, she refuses to let that dampen the mood. Her hard work instills both the witches and townsfolk with hope, and that hope inspires them all through the darkest night. Hmm. So and that, she's like a major, major character in in this story. Because, seems like it. Yeah, she's who's trying to lead it, and she's the face commander, like the face legendary of the new commander deck. One of them. Is she the green-white one? Yeah, yeah. she's right here. Forever. I pulled her. Huh, interesting. Yeah, she's a very, very cool card, too. Um, so the whole coven thing is about, um, as we said there, like Lenore is uh, elected to be the person who brings the witches and the humans together and stuff, right? Like the she's trying to gather it, which brings really into the coven mechanic that we see in Magic, where it's all about creatures with differences, right? Different power levels are the only thing that trigger the coven mechanic and give you actually pretty strong effects a lot of the time if you control multiple things so it is about bringing together a different power army i I just like that mechanic how it kind of fits into the lore there it is interesting yeah it actually also makes me want to talk a little bit about the other face card of uh the commander decks will help if you want to read will help here in life will help the breathtaking was an average lumberjack known for his above average looks looks his looks were matched only by his vanity and he declared that he would only pledge himself to a suitor as impressive as he no one reached the standard until he first laid eyes on the ghoul collar gissa kasani or is it sakani sakani i think i I don't know we'll call her gissa c there you go wilhelm was smitten he pledged his heart to her on the spot which she promptly broke by yawning and walking away shocked by his ever first ever rejection it distracted wilhelm met his end in an unfortunate tree-chopping accident. When the moon rose that even, evening, Wilhelm rose with it, reanimated as a ghoul by the strength of his desire. 
Wow. He simped so hard he came back to life. He is the ultimate simp king. He really, really likes Gissa. And it's very funny in the story. He just keeps chasing her around. Um, so <laughs> increasingly single-minded in death, Wilhelm sought out Gissa to earn her affection. He found her in the ruins of Thraven, where she ignored him in favor of her new undead army. If Gissa desired an army, he thought, he'd give her one. He terrorized the townships of Innistrad, raising an undead army in his wake to be his future wedding present. Surely, causing enough carnage would impress Gissa. Meanwhile, Gillis uh, Gissa believed that his name was William or Wilbur, and that he was kind of clingy. Ooh, that has to hurt. That's rough. And at some point during the Harvest Tide Festival, Wilhelt returned to Thruven with an army of zombies to once again try to woo Gissa. After being rejected by her once again, he besieged the city, only to be summarily defeated by her superior undead horde. Wilhelm then left Thraben. So it sounds like he's going to come back with an even bigger zombie army. Yeah, he's obsessed. So we'll talk a little bit about Gissa, because Gissa is a great card in everything she's been on. Uh, Geralt and Gissa was a great card. Um, the first mono black, which, by the way, I'm unhappy there wasn't a foil of. And then in Jumpstart, I thought there was going to be a foil, and I was it just, you know, didn't happen. When some, you lose some. Yeah, so there's Ghoul Caller Gissa and then Gissa Glorious Resurrector. And both of them are amazing zombie-based cards in Magic, but let's talk a little bit about who she is. So the Sinister Gissa is a beautiful, young but crazed woman who knows no social restraint, improving that she is the best. As evidenced by her relatively pure approach to reanimating the undead, she is a black-aligned necromancer. Gissa believes in raising the dead directly from their graves, which is why most of her undead creations are ghouls. She doesn't care about the quality of her work. Undead creatures are useful for her in the moment and can be cast aside at will. While her brother is known to have grave ambitions, Gissa is far less formal and more driven by her whims. She's one of the most powerful ghoul colors on Innistrad. Um, so the siblings were scions of a noble family and distant relatives of the former Lunarch Machaeus. They were banished from Threbin in a husband scandal, or a hush scandal, not husband, and moved to the Moorland, where they waged war against one another by raising armies of undead. The battles prompted many of the Moorland's inhabitants to move to the near hearth, leaving the area even more desolate than before. Now marauding ghouls rampage freely through the moors, lost playthings in the mad epic battle of Gissa and Geralt. Geralt took over Trostad, most likely massacring the inhabitants that didn't flee. In response, Gissa attacked Trostad in the, simple, uh, in the past simply to best her brother. So they're like, they have their own version of the Brothers' War, just not with the Silex, you know? Um, later on, the two would plan on waging war against one another. Geralt will try to set formal rules named the Five Laws of Necro Warfare. Number one, no spontaneous awakenings. Number two, no luring, killing, or raising of bystanders or livestock. Number three, combatants face off at a predetermined place and time. Number four, combatants must have at least three limbs to play. Number five, all headquarters are off limits. Gissa, however, would have none of this and considered all a free game, frequently defying Geralt's rules if only to infuriate her brother. The engagement was called off when Geralt decided to invade Thraven and invited Gissa along. Geralt snuck in the city before the attack to kill Machaeus. Later he met up with Liliana, who shortly thereafter brought Machaeus back as a zombie, because she's bad. Uh, Gissa was left with the tending to the siege, having gained control of Geralt's sca uh, scabs along with her own conventional undead. The army broke the outer wall of the city before being pushed back by the fire causing Gissa to abandon the siege. Odric, a champion of the search, uh, church, captured Gissa and held her prison in Rider's Lock. Aftermath of the net. What was that, sorry? I just like that they, uh, that Gerald tried to make a Geneva convention for fighting with zombies. Yeah, for undead zombies, and she was having none of it. She's like, no, I'm bringing them when I want. But anyway, um, af on the aftermath, you yeah, were talking go about. Okay. Gerald sent a horde of scabs to set his sister free, even though they hate each other. 
can't cross family. Mm -hmm. Although she stated afterward that she didn't need his help, she wanted to reinstate the war, but Gerald was occupied with creating what he called his masterpiece. Under the wing of the alchemist Ludovic, Gissa retreated to the manor of their parents, ruined by a fight of the siblings in their youth. She later revived her parents as zombies, oof, but sent her father back into the ground. Bigger oof. She found a new friend in the lithomancer Nihiri and provided the ghouls to build the Drownyard Temple. Okay, well, that's a point against Nahiri. Mm-hmm. She, and in Shadows over Innistrad, when Liliana was going to raise an army of zombies to fight the hordes of Eldrazi that had invaded the plain, Gissa and Garolf ma- briefly managed to put their differences aside to team up against the Eldrazi. Yep, so now what are they doing in the current days? Oh, in Midnight Hunt? In the two years that passed since Emmercool's sealing, Gissa took control of Liliana's abandoned zombies army and made Thurben her own, taking up residence in the ruined city's least destroyed building. She hadn't seen her brother since since and sought to contact him again. After an exchange of letters with Garolf, she begged to begged him to attack Thurben to alleviate her boredom, only to be refused. Gissa then noticed the arrival of her suitor, Wilhelm, to the gates of the fallen city. Wilhelm once again declared his love for Gissa and begged to be acknowledged by her as more than just an undead pawn. Tired of his insistence, Gissa easily defeated his undead army, forcing him to leave. Gissa then wrote again to Geralt, telling her, telling him of her intention to leave Thurben and move with him <laughs> to his absolute horror. Yeah, so like they're, I think, like a pretty fun, like obviously they're crazy, both of them, but I think they're like pretty fun characters in the lore. They're a dynamic duo. And, and I do them. think that knowing about their necro war does kind of make it a little more entertaining to play a Gissa deck because that is really how you play it. Like, you just, anything goes, you just throw zombies at your opponents. I wonder what a deck that followed their Necro Warfare rules would look like. Ooh, Necro Warfare magic? Ooh, that that would be fun. That could be fun. Maybe I'll Maybe I'll make, like, a small event, like, on the Discord for something like that. Or I'll do, like, a big horde game. Where people can try and like defeat like a giant zombie horde, and maybe I'll give out some prizes for that. Join the Discord if you aren't in the Discord for that stuff. Um, anyways, back to back to this. There's another card uh, in the green white deck. Uh, it's Kyler, Sigardian emissary, and it's actually a very very interesting like card for Commander. But the lore isn't too bad. So it says uh, like the flavor code on it is even when the angels succumb to madness, Sigarda stood strong. She is hope. When Emrakul descended during the travails, Sigarda was the only archangel to resist her thrall and became the only archangel to survive. With Avacyn gone, the people began to look to Sigarda for hope and protection. Kyler, an Avacian priest, was one of the first to bring the word of Sigarda to the greater populace. He knew that she would protect them, just like Avacyn did. It is no, in no small part due to his hard work that Sigarda's blessing protects the people of Innistrad. So he's just like kind of like the new Machaeus, like he's like almost the head of the church at the moment. The uh... What do you call what do you, what were they called? Lunark? Yes. Yeah. So like I there's think... a lot of like there's a lot of entertaining characters on there. There's lots of like good things to be able to build. But let's get a little bit into now like the bad guy of the story, like who he is and kind of what goes on in it. I'll I'll let you go ahead with this one here. Oh, Tovalar. Well, he has silver fur and leads his packs in howling songs and revels in carnage. Interesting, silver fur, so he's aging. 
It was long suspected that, suspected that he was mute and never transforms back into a human. However, this was proven untrue. As it turns out, Tobalar is actually the first werewolf who can retain some of his humanity and hold on to his weapons after transition. In human form, he is a large muscled man. Okay, so he could probably take on the new werewolves. He seems pretty strong. Yeah, because he's absolutely yoked and knows how to werewolf sword fight. Oh, yeah. But his history is very interesting. So 20 years ago, Tovalar encountered a young, reluctant new werewolf named Arlen Cord. We know that name. She came under his tutelage, and he tried teaching her not to fear her werewolf nature, but to embrace it in all its joy and savage freedom. Arlen, however, was unable to accept that path, and after two years, they fell out when Arlen refused to join Tovalar in slaughtering a group of foresters. Arlen turned on her mentor, challenging Tovalar for command of the Howl Pack. They fought and wounded each other, though in the end, Arlen fled, choosing a different, less destructive path than her mentor. Arlen maintained her distance over the next decades and went on to form her own wolf pack. Tovalar earned a fearsome reputation throughout Innistrad's Kessig, province as leader of the Mondronin Howl Pack. The Howl Pack, about 60 in size, that is a lot of werewolves, was was known for using a dark form of magic. They stayed away from civilizations, sticking to the farmlands, rural communities, and remote monasteries. When Addison's protective wards got weaker due to her absence, the Mondronin got closer to cities. When Addison was set free from the Hell Vault, the Mondronin and other Howl Packs disbanded, chased off and hunted down by angels. But now, in the growing darkness since the travails, Tovalar sees a chance to to lead once again. In his Midnight Hunt debut, in the two years since said travails, the Knights of Innistrad were inexplicably getting longer. Tovalar formed a new pack of dire wolves that was growing wire, dire werewolves was that was growing rapidly. Driven by his fierce pride and werewolf kind, he enacted his plan to unify all werewolf packs under his rule. He stood for freedom to embrace the savage beast within, and many werewolves left their human homes to join him. Once he has a powerful pack behind him, he believed that he could stop the Donhard Coven and anyone else who would want to bring back the sun. I think we already read that. During the Harvestide Festival, Arlen Cord and her Planeswalker allies discovered that the Moon Silver Key discovered the Moon Silver Key and brought it to the Celestid. Seeking to, I lost my place. Seeking to enact a ritual at the height of the festival that would restore the balance between night and day. However, no sooner did Arlen arrive with the key that Tovalar launched an attack on the festival. The grounds around the Celestis were surrounded by magical wards that prevented the advance of the werewolf army for a short time. When the protections failed, the fairy cast a powerful spell to delay the sunset and thereby stall the werewolf's complete transformation. Oh. Fairies in this set. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's why Teferi slows the sun and gives me a draw during other players' turns. <laughs> I hate that card. Love I hope it. I play against your skip turns deck. <laughs> Planeswalkers, witches, and other Cathars, Cathars fought, fought the werewolves and werewolf invaders to protect the humans. In the midst of the combat, Arlen confronted Tovalar, demanding that he cease this invasion. Tovalar refused and goaded Arlen, urging her to embrace the werewolf nature and join him in battle. Seeing the human defenders crumbling under the werewolf onslaught, Arlen attacked Tovalar and they started exchanging blows until Tovalar called upon the wolves of Arlen's old pack. Seeing her old pack mates, Arlen hesitated for a moment, which allowed Tovalar to overpower her and knock her down. Tovalar boasted that he would kill her. At that point, Teferi's spell finally ended and the sun set, transforming all werewolves, including Arlen. Arlen and Tovalar fought and both got severe wounds. Arlen's wolf pack joined Tovalar, except for Patience, who stayed apart. During the fight, the Alpha kept seducing the planeswalker into abandoning the humans and joining the pack. 
Arlen feigned surrender, but then overpowered the unsuspecting Tovalar with a death grip in his chest. Wow. Okay. Your heart is mine. Mm-hmm. Crushed by her final betrayal, to- Tovalar surrendered and retreated with the rest of the pack. The survivors of the Harvest Tide Massacre stayed behind. Huh. Yeah, so essentially the whole story is based on that festival and just the werewolves trying to kill everyone at it so that they can keep night eternal. By the way, Tovalar is an amazing card for a werewolf commander. It's it's exactly what was always needed. I don't even I don't even know what he did. Oh. I just bought four let, boxes. Let me pull it up. So they made the new mechanic of day and night. Um, um, like so, like the other werewolves don't flip when it's day and night. They flip when you cast spells. Correct. So Tovalar is one red, one green, one colorless for a three-three human werewolf. Whenever a wolf or werewolf con- you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. That's an amazing stat in green-red alone. It's wow. like already pretty awesome. Then it's at the beginning of your upkeep. If you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night. Then you transform any number of human werewolves you control. That's when Tovalar's Daybound. And then Tovalar the Midnight Scourge is a 4-4 werewolf. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage, draw a card, so you still get it. Then you can pay X, one red, one green. Target wolf or werewolf you control gets XO and gains trample until end of turn with Nightbound. So you have a Kessig Wolf run on your commander. And it's better because you can just pay the cost multiple times. It sure is. You don't have to tap it. Uh, you also have the draw ability, so you can give any of your werewolves trample very, very easily. Um, you have the ability to, it doesn't matter. Generally, the way to beat a werewolf deck for anyone who wasn't playing at the time was to just make make it so that you cast the right number of spells so that you were able to flip their werewolves and leave them in their weaker form. But Tovalar, day becomes night, so any day-night triggers will happen. So he'll he'll flip himself already in the upkeep, but he'll also transform the old previous werewolves. So you always will have your werewolves available in their wolf form on your turn, and that's like an amazing mechanic for Commander. I think that his first line of text is nuts. Putting that much uh, draw into green, and there's so many good cards. Like you get like a Howl of the Night Pack where you get all your forests. There's lots of uh, Wolfbriar Elemental where you can multi-kick and get tons of Tons of wolves. Like, there's the wolf decks have been really, really cool lately. I, I've I can, just I've thought it was very entertaining to see more and more of them. Um, I'm probably going to build one myself because it just seems fun, but I'm going to wait until the hype on them dies down because all of those old cards, like, aggressively spiked. Old, uh, wolves versus squirrels, maybe? <laughs> exactly. See who comes out on top. I guess we would also be negligent if we didn't talk about Arlen as well. Yeah, that'd be rude. First off, I bought the double-sided Arlen playmat today. It's amazing. That's like one of the coolest playmats I have seen in a very, very long time. It's a cool concept of the day and night side, and that artwork is amazing. I really, really, for the first time, it's one of the ones where I love all three artworks. Like the the new Arlen card, all three of the artworks on it are just phenomenal looking. You said you didn't really look at too many of the spoilers? No, I did not. Have you seen what they look at? Um, or what I'm they looking look at like, her, I'm looking at her card right now, but I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. Arlen Cord, uh, it's Arlen Hope of the Pack. Yeah, so look at the three versions. There's uh, uh we're gonna find it in Reddit. Yeah, I'll I'll start reading Arlen while you while you look at the artworks here. So for anyone who doesn't know, Arlen Cord is a tormented werewolf planeswalker from the Kessig province of the Plain of Innistrad. She's the protector of the Ulanvald. Uh, Arlen is the daughter of a smith. She's a powerful mage, approximately forty five years old. 
She wears a single large scratched leather pauldron on her shoulder, which carries over into her werewolf form. She has long red hair that is tied into a long ponytail, the tip of which is white. In her wolf form, she has charcoal gray coat that gets progressively darker toward the ridge in her back until the fur on the right is jet black. Her eyes glow bright orange. Her packmate Patience usually carried a leather pack with her clothes. Arlen Cord is primarily green aligned, but is second in red, uh, red mana. So the origin. Arlen was a teenager from Avabruck with the Howls of Tovalar's monodrome werewolf pack summoned her into the forest, and she completed her first hunt. For two years, she stayed with the pack, though despite Tovalar's mentorship, she never fully embraced the violence of her werewolf way. At one point, Tovalar urged her to join the slaughter of a group of foresters, as we mentioned. She said no, she wasn't having it, and she abandoned Tovalar entirely. Thereafter, she always fought against the change and used Avisian charms, prayers, and fasting to ward it off as much as possible. She did not want to transform. She even studied magic in the Church of Aviston, while successfully hiding her curse from her teachers and mentor. The same day that she became an Archmage of Gold Knight, she and her peers were confronted by a horde of devils at Havengold. While fighting, she couldn't contain the change any longer, and she killed devils, several hierarchs, and an angel alike before her spark ignited, and she found herself rampaging through the woods on another plane. To her horror, she regained her senses in the morning, but not her human form. For better or worse, the experience of retaining her human mind in wolf form gave her a new appreciation for the wild spirit that shared her body. The only way she could return to her human form was to planeswalk back to Innistrad, but now she finds that she controlled the transformation in both directions with relative ease. And though she is still horrified by the slaughter she wrought in the church, she's embracing the power she wields in wolf form as a natural complement to her magic. Above all else, Arlen was desperate to ensure the survival of her kind. She's come to think of herself as part of the pack, and in a world where Avacyn either had curse-muted or killed hundreds of werewolves, and where the Angel's Church had launched a new inquisition, more terrifying than anything they've ever done before, Arlen feared the lycanthropes of Innistrad could meet a very real and permanent end very soon. After the death of Avacyn, she reunited with the mages and cathars of Gold Knight to fight together. Later, she was seen helping Thalia and her cathars during the Battle of Thraven against Enricul's hordes. In War of the Spark, Arlen was lured to Ravnica by the Interplanar Beacon and immediately became trapped there due to Bolas's use of the Immortal Sun. Alongside many other Planeswalkers, she fought against the Eternal and Bolas's Dread Horde. During the invasion, the trapped Planeswalkers, including Arlen, got together with Ravnica leaders to strategize. She was the, one of the few Planeswalkers who chose to remain in Ravnica after Shatendra disabled the Immortal Sun, helping the Gatewatch in their fight against Bolas. So as soon as the Immortal Sun was done, a bunch of people were like, I'm out, you guys deal with Bolas. I mean, I can see it, honestly. Bolas was a scary dude. In, um, oh. I'll let you go on with Midnight Hunt here if, you're, if you have it up. Um, 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 I have so many tabs open right now. I was just trying to buy that playmat, but they're sold out. <laughs> Such a cool playmat, right? Uh, I'll read yeah. the Midnight Hunt one. So it's due to the presence of Emrakul sealed on the moon of Innistrad. The plane has been undergoing changes in the cycle of night and day. After hunting with her pack of direwolves, uh, so like Red Tooth, Streak, Patience, and Boulder, she sets out to find Catilda, the leader of the Dawn uh, Dawnheart Coven. Tovalar invites Arlen to join him and other werewolves in a massive human hunt in Kessig. Upon seeing the army gathered by Tovalar and listening to his proposal, she refuses and tries to attack him, but the wolves of her pack come between her and Tovalar. Arlen says goodbye to her wolves, who are now with Tovalar's pack, returns to Catilda, and agrees to help the warlock find the moon silver key. Arlen goes to Ravnica to ask the Gatewatch for help in finding it. She finds him and explains Innistrad's situation to Teferi, Kea, and Chandra. The three planeswalkers agree to help Arlen and head to Innistrad. Together with the Cathar Adeline, they decide to go to Thraben to investigate. Arlen, Teferi, Chandra, Kea, uh, Adeline, and a group of Cathars search Thraben for clues to the whereabouts of the Moon Silver Key. 
In Thraben, Kea finds an old book showing that the key was given to an ancestor of the Betzgold family by a warlock. Arlen and Adeline knew a bishop named Warren Betzgold and belongs to this family. They end up finding him among the zombie army that Liliana Vess dropped in the midst of the ruins of Thraben. Uh, bishop Warren Betzold became a zombie during the events of the Travails and now preaches prayer in the ruins of a church. The party ended uh, enters Thraben, pushing their way through the undead until they reach Warren. Even dead, Warren seems to recognize his old friend Arlen, who interrogates him, asking about the key, but she can only get the name Denik. In an attempt and an act of mercy, she kills her friend so he can rest in peace. After that, the group heads to Gavany, Gavany, sorry, the birthplace of the Betzgold family. There they get the information that the bishop's son, Denik Betzgold, is in the family mansion, but the place is very haunted. Arriving at the mansion, Kea enters alone and murders the ghosts that haunt the place. All right so that her companions can enter. After conversing with the spirit of the late Denik, they discover the key was given by the boy's great-grandfather to a vampire, who we all know, Soren Markov, as a way to protect protect the key. Now the group head to Markov Manor and question Soren about the whereabouts of the key. Arlen inquires that the humans need protection as darkness grows once more over Innistrad, but Soren isn't worried about this issue. Upon mentioning Avacyn, Soren grows enraged and attacks Arlen, who in her werewolf form manages to stop the attack with little damage to her. Again, she mention, mentions Avacyn and is attacked again, but this time Sigarda appears and stops the attack. The angel appears to answer a prayer made by Arlen before the group enters the manor. Sigarda tells Arlen and her group to look for the key in Sorn's headquarters and as she confronts the vampire, giving the group the time to get the key. In Sorn's quarters, they find the key over a statue of Avacyn, beheaded by Sorn beneath a painting of Sorn with his grandfather, Edgar Markov. Arlen takes the key. After Arlen and her party return to the Celestis with the key, Tovalar and his army launch an attack on the Harvest Tide Festival. Protection spells briefly prevent them from entering. Meanwhile, Arlen told Kea to take the key to Katilda and her witches. After the magical protections fall, Teferi casts the spell to delay the sunset, which also stopped the werewolves transforming into human wolves. Cather's witches and planeswalkers fought the werewolves to protect humans. Arlen confronted Tovalar by hitting him several times with weapons and her hands. Tovalar called Arlen's wolves, which caused her to get distracted and knocked down. He said he wasn't going to kill her, as we mentioned. Um, anyways, Arlen and Tovalor fought. Both got severe wounds. Uh, Arlen's pack, except for Patience, who was a, hu- a human girl lycanthrope, who always waits for Arlen outside of the church, uh, except for Patience, stayed apart. During the fight, the Alpha kept seducing her. As we know, she betrayed him in the end. Death graft, yada, yada, yada. We get it. I feel like Tovalor is like the hidden good guy of the story, you know? I mean, he's kind of good in comparison. I think I think Arlen's one of the only good people in this in this story. Eh, yeah, I I think Arlen is one of the few people that have like a good heart and don't do bad things. Yeah. Know? Did you look at the artworks of Arlen? Yes, I did. Oh, amazing! And, right? How do you I, not want Arlen to be the commander of the deck? <laughs> oh, you're gonna love this. There's a. Uh, they're trying to sell a near mint meat hook massacre for a million dollars million dollars i gotta mine's mine's in pretty good shape i'll i'll do it for half of that you heard it first i'm gonna send it to you right now there's uh yeah some of the new cards like i said this one's a little bit shorter we just wanted to touch on some of the lore on it because i like i said i think that it's very interesting and i think the game's a little bit better when you know where the cards are coming from like especially from an edh standpoint there's so many good reasons to build or not build the deck and I, I honestly think that, like, a cool storyline is one of them. Like, if you didn't know, like, the Jessa and Jeroff lore <laughs> and how crazy they are as people, 
it's pretty entertaining to hear their necro warfare rules and and look at things that way. Uh, I think that Lenore, I think that Wilhelm, they all have really really interesting lore. Uh, Catilda being uh, honestly a card that'll be next week's episode is the Catilda deck and. Catilda's just such a an amazing card for Commander. I, I can't stress how much I like that card. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, Catilda has an ability that lets you put one on counters on all your creatures and then lets all of your humans tap for one mana of any of their color identity. So it, it's a huge, huge mana accelerant deck. It's a two-cost creature, like one green, one white, and, and just an amazing card. Oh, she's that one. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, uh, in the few games that I've played with this one, like I've been able to, mine's a primal surge deck because a monster, but that might, I have two, I built two Catildas already. One is like a, a hard gopher primal surge. And then one is just like a general humans good stuff. I'll probably do the general humans good stuff as my, my episode, but let me, let me preface that one that you can just put primal surge in and have a great time. Well, if you don't put uh seaborn muse in it, I'm just going to be disappointed. Uh, Seedborn Muse is in the good stuff one. Perfect. But yeah, like when you're when you're able to ramp out so quickly, like you turn you're turning stuff like a Mother of Runes into like a Mana Dork, which is crazy. Oh, what is that card? Where is it? It's probably like my favorite card in the whole set. Which one? Yeah, yeah. It's right. It's the. You're just over there rifling cards. Yeah. Oh, I, I did I get have... the I did get the big pumpkin playmat too because I thought it was so cool and. uh I, I did like the idea of the midnight, like the hunt story and like the the festival. I thought it was pretty cool and on theme for Halloween. So I, I bought that playmat as well. The cool pumpkins. Is Charlie Brown in it? Just Charlie Brown in a little bit. I think it's I think it's a cool one. I might buy the Lenore one as well. Here it is. It here. might be Lenore. I don't know. I can't pronounce their names. Great. Best card in the set. Siphon Insight. Which one's that? Uh, blue and a black. Look at the top two cards of target opponent's library. Exile one of them face down and put the other one on the bottom of that library. You may look and play the exiled card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any spell or any color to cast that spell, and it has flashback. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty phenomenal card, especially if you're able to get it off in uh, like a, a competitive setting where somebody has tutored something to the top of their deck and you just take it. Oh, you just tutored for your demonic consultation. Well, I'm just going to flash in my Thassa's Oracle and cast it. Our demonic consultation. Eh, I never thought Demir would be the communist colors. <laughs> You'd never know, right? Never know. But yeah, that's that kind of concludes like what I wanted to touch on on it. Like I said, sorry about my rant there, but let me know if you think that uh, Emrakul is time traveling and bringing them back, because that's what I think, and I would love to be right. I think that that would make such a good story. It brings Nicobolus back because there's not really like a interesting. They they have to bring Nicobolus back to fight either the, uh, like the Emrakul, or the Praetors. Like the Praetors are too dangerous for the current Gatewatch. I think uh I don't I I think the current Gatewatch is going to get buffed up by Will and um the Kenrith the Kenrith. Yeah, Will and Rowan getting stronger as yeah. it goes. They kind of seem like the new go-to favorite Planeswalkers. You have Tybalt being kind of a nuisance. We'll call him. I mean, he got he got modern he got some of the like the best cards in modern bands. And when I say best cards, I don't mean they were the best, but they were fun. Yeah, Tybalt Tybalt was a pretty cool Valky. The Valky Tybalt card is a very interesting commander deck. I've been trounced by it more times than I would like to admit. Oh, I've been slapped around by my brother's chaos themed one. It it hurts so deeply. But yeah, they um, 
I, I think that they did a really good job designing this set. Um, it's kind of interesting that they're doing a split set. So the next one is uh, Vampire Wedding, is the next part of the Innistrad lore. You didn't really see much of what was going on with the vampires here. You didn't see much of the uh, Markovs or the Voldarens and stuff. So the new set is going to be focused more on that. If I'm correct, the Vampire Wedding is between Markovs and Voldarens, or is it... Yeah, that's about- that's what it is. I, I know that it's... I'm pretty sure Olivia, and Vol- Olivia Voldaren is getting married. I th- it might have been the Falconraths that are getting married. Uh, it could be. It could be between those two. Because I saw something about Anja. Yeah. Angie. Angie. I've seen so many people call it Anya. No. No. Yeah. It's Anya. There's a J in there, bud. I'll talk about the pronunciations all night. But yeah, no, like well, I said, let us know if you if you like this, like the, the lore of this. I, I'd love to hear about it. Like, I, I love talking lore about it. I think that it makes the game more entertaining when you actually have, like, an idea of what the cards background is like because Arlen is a really really cool commander once you know kind of what she what she stands for and how she tried to turn her back on like the violent ways of the werewolves how she tried her best and like hardest to resist transforming and basically how she's kind of looking for repentance right now because she she lost control to a point that she like killed angels friends and ignited a planeswalker sparkle like like she went bananas yeah, that was pretty crazy, but I would argue that she's a boring planeswalker to build because she's so goody two shoot. Well, I, I think that I think that she's getting more and more good cards. I'd love to see you know what I really, really hope that they do again? Another cycle of the flip planeswalkers. Where there's a like a creature on the front, a legendary creature, and then you flip it over to the back like like they did with Chandra, like they did with Jace, Nissa, all those. I, I would love to see more of those. Because I thought they were entertaining. I'd like to see like maybe a new KO one. Uh, I'd really like to see Will and Rowan ones. Yeah, I'm not sure how they ignited their spark. I never really got into uh, never really got into that plane. Something something. Kenrith was an elk. You get it. Oh yeah, Kenrith got Oko'd. Yeah, he did get Oko. And then Oko got banned. <laughs> I think Oko's still still fine in in Commander, right? Yeah, he's but not, not Golos. Oh, oh no. Oh, there's an episode coming about that still. I'm, Sign me up for it yeah. because I, I share your animosity with that. Yeah, um, uh, maybe that'll be next week's episode. We'll see. Um, as well, everyone like Zach's Zach's still away for the time being, but send Zach the good thoughts because we all love Zach. Um, he'll be back on that one because I think he's got different views than me on it. Uh, this weekend, Lotus is a little busy and stuff, so I was very happy we were able to get together do like a quick lore one because I've been wanting to do it. And again, let us know if you like these lore ones. We're gonna keep doing them. So if you don't like them, sorry, but <laughs> I'm not stopping. <laughs> I find it entertaining. I think it makes the game better. And with that, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add to this Innistrad episode here, John? Um, If you would like to hear old Innistrad lore, which I think is like fascinating. Yep. Let us know because there's no shortage of lore and we need a direction to point because Dan and I are probably the most disorganized people I know. Oh, yeah, I I. It's so hard to pick a lore category because there's so many good parts of the story that I'm like, we should do this one, we should do this one, we should do this one. I still have like a 10-part Amonkhet one to do because Amonkhet is a huge story and try to condense it down into a one-hour episode. It's crazy. Oh, man. So much to do. So little time. We should do Amonkhet soon. But with that, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, You can find all of our content, as you know, at www.intothe99.com. 
follow us on social media, chat with us, share deck lists. Uh, if you use Discord, we have a pretty active group in the Discord. We play games. Uh, we do some leagues. We have another league starting up pretty soon here. Uh, prizing is going to be announced shortly on that one. Just come chat with us about Magic. We all love talking about Magic so much that we get together every week for an hour plus to do it. Like before the show, we just sit and rant on about Magic. And I'm like, save it for the show, save it for the show, guys. we got to get on with it. Like, we, we just love the game. We love that you guys stop in and listen. So uh, remember, like, share, subscribe, check it out. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. We bid you adieu.